Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We've been talking about, uh, it's all about Jesus. And truly it is all about Jesus, is it not? From beginning to end, it's all about Jesus and everything in between. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and He's everything in between. And so we exalt Him. In this series, this is number four, I believe it is, in the series, we want to continue it. Let's pray first. Father, we thank You so much for the person and presence of Your Holy Spirit who is here right now to teach us and guide us into all that You would have us to learn and know. Give us hearts that are open to receive it, minds that will receive it, ears that will hear it spiritually and not just intellectually. We thank you, dear Father, for changing us by what we hear from glory to glory and unveiling to us the deep, rich treasures of your word. And Father, we purpose in our hearts to be shining lights in this world of darkness, to hold forth the word of life to this generation that you've called us to, that they would hear your voice and your word and come to the cross of our Lord and Savior. We'll give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Just real quick, briefly, uh, if you've been with us, then four statements really revealed to us what the Bible is all about. Number one, God's desire for a family. Number two, redemption from sin that interrupted uh, the plan of God. Number three, we know that the dream has come true. And every single one of us, you're a child of God and you're the Father's dream come true. And number four, the family home. Praise God. We're awaiting the time. We have a new heavens and a new earth. Aren't you glad for that? Praise God. And we'll live and reign with Him throughout the ages. And we said that that revelation gives to us an understanding of what three things. What the universe is all about. Why is the universe out there? To provide a livable habitation on earth for, for man. And then what is the earth all about? To provide for the needs of man. And what is man all about? To provide a family for God. From the very beginning, He wanted a family. And, of course, he made Adam and Eve, and from them he said, procreate, fill up the world, replenish it, right? So he wants a family. We're living in the third phase of it right now, which is the Father's dream come true. Aren't you glad you're his masterpiece and his dream come true? You're a child of Almighty God? Absolutely. It's a wonderful uh, thing to know that. But as we continue in our study, we want to point out in John's Gospel, chapter 16, as we continue, some things pertaining to the second phase, which is the phase of redemption. And here's what Jesus said about redemption. Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Jesus here is comparing redemption to childbirth. And there's three things we point out here that he's talking about. Number one, when her hour is come. What does that mean? Well, when nature says the time is up, the time is up. Don't be like I was. Mm -mm. When Dante was about to be born, my wife said, it's time to go to the hospital. I said, honey, it's, you're 12 days early. It can't be. Your due date's 12 days from now. She said, you can stay here if you want to. I'm going to the hospital. I was asleep. Then it hit me. We're having a baby. And so, I, of course, 
then went into that mode and took off to the hospital. So when nature says it's time, it's time, right? Okay, number two, after the time comes, travail, sorrow, and pain. Why? Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. This is why. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow that thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. So judgment fell upon the woman and what her judgment was, you will have sorrow in conception in, in bringing forth children. Travail. And then the third thing, obviously, he said, once the child is born, there's what? Joy that overshadows all that you just went through. And that's what Jesus taught about it. Well, now, how does that pertain to redemption? Well, let's see what he said. Number one, look in John's Gospel, chapter 12. First of all, he said, his hour has come. And Jesus answered them, saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. The hour has come. His hour has come. And when the spiritual world says the time has come, then the time has come. And so he has to die. The second thing is what? Travail. He's going to go through travail. And look in the book of uh, Isaiah, chapter 53, beginning at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, he was, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he had made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his... What's that next word? Okay. Just want to make sure it wasn't body. Make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his what? Soul. And shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. So, we see Jesus in travail here, in the travail of his soul. And what is the travail of his soul? It has a lot to do with labor pains, laborious effort. So we see Jesus taking upon himself or bearing upon himself the sin of the world. And we see him travailing in pain. And what's the next step? Joy. Look at the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking at the Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the what? 
joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, what enabled him to endure it was the joy he saw that was set before him. Well, what kind of joy? The joy in bringing sons and daughters into the family of God unto glory. The joy of destroying the purpose and plan that Satan had for humanity. Look in the book of Hebrews, again, chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom all things are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons and daughters to make the cap to glory, to make the captain of their, uh, of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they which are sanctified are all one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to change. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So what is this saying? It's saying that Jesus took our place on that cross and suffered in our place so he could bring many sons to glory. And so he can destroy the purpose and plan that Satan had in humanity from the very beginning in the garden when he tempted Eve. And of course she fell. And of course Adam did the same thing, followed her. Okay, so we see the same pattern here. What do we see? His hour has come. There's going to be great travail. And then there's going to be joy afterwards. Can you imagine the joy before the throne when one person came home? We know that's true. Now, I want to focus on the travail. Because I think this has been something neglected in the church of today. And I don't want to neglect it. And I'm going to ask that you have an open heart and receive what I'm about to share with you tonight. Because I think it really helps us really appreciate to what depth Jesus suffered for you and I to be born again. Okay. So, first of all, as the Holy Spirit gave this revelation to Peter, when he, on the day of Pentecost, preached the first gospel message... And 3,000 Jews gave their hearts to Jesus based on the message that he preached. Listen to what he said, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's read it. Acts chapter 2. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken... And by wicked hands you have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the comforts. Okay, keep that in your mind. Pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also, my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher 
is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul, remember he saw the travail of his soul in Isaiah? His soul was not left in, everybody say it, no interpretation, right? Okay, neither did his flesh see corruption. Notice the distinction between the two. His soul was not left where? His flesh did not see, okay, this Jesus had God raised up where we all are witnesses. Notice the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ both involved the spirit or the soulish part of man and the body, the physical part of man. The body was crucified and the soul, we're told, went where? Into hell. Look at that verse 31 again. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left. The word left means abandoned or forsaken in hell. Neither his flesh did see corruption or decay. Which is why it was only three days. Because after the fourth day you begin to decay. So speaking of the resurrection and speaking of the death of Christ... His soul was not left in hell. Now that word hell, as I said, is Hades. It's the same word that's used in Luke 16.23. Let's read that. Luke 16.23. And in hell, Hades, he lift up his eyes, being in, not comforts, torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, let me ask a question. Not too hard. This is not a hard question. Who wrote the Gospel of Luke? You all get an A. Who wrote the book of Acts? Oh, there's no A's out there. Well, there's a sum. There's a hair of a few. Luke did. Luke wrote Luke, and Luke wrote Acts. So here's my point. Does he know the difference between Abraham's bosom and Hades? Well, he just said, when Lazarus died, he went by angels and was carried where? Abraham's bosom. When the rich man died, he went to Hades, right? Now Luke, the same Luke said of Jesus, his soul was not left in Hades, is the Greek word. He doesn't know the distinction between Abraham's bosom and Hades. And neither did his body see or decay. So notice those two, those two distinct, distinguishing marks there. Both parts, the spiritual part of man and the material part of man, we could say, was affected by the fall. All three parts, man, spirit, soul, and body. But we're talking about the inward man and the outward man. The inward man is renewed day by day. The outward man perishes. And so Jesus on the cross, yes, he dies for us physically. His crucifixion is a horrific thing. And if you watch the passion of the Christ and you see that, I'm sure it brings tears to your eyes. And some people can't even look at it. But that is only the smaller part of his sufferings for humanity. That's just a smaller part. Because you see, the, the greater part, look at verse 24, is found right here. 
He cried and said, look, 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 no, 24, Acts, go back to Acts 2, 24. I should have given you more prompting there. Sorry, Paul. Acts 2, 24. Notice whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains, the what? The pains of death. It doesn't say the comforts of death. It says the pains of death. Lazarus was comforted, right? Lazarus was comforted in Abraham's bosom. Jesus was loosed or released from the pains. Other translation is, I have in your notes, pangs, birth throes, horrors, agony of death. And then, notice this here. I have, uh, this is Douay Reims translation. It's the American edition, 1899, a very trusted edition. Look at how he states it. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the sorrows of hell. Robertson Word Pictures commentary says early Christians, Christian writers, interpreted the resurrection of Christ as a birth out of death. As we take the Greek word in its full meaning, the resurrection is thought of as a new birth from the womb of the grave. So now we have a picture painted to us by these writers, by the Holy Spirit really, who had prompted Peter, said his soul was not left in hell, and his body didn't see corruption. And when he was raised up, he was raised up from the birth throes of death or of Hades. Now, look at Paul's uh, revelation. This is given to him, again, by the, by the Lord Jesus himself. And if you've been here for any length of time, I'm going to ask you the question once again. Who taught Paul the gospel? Does Jesus know the gospel? Is Jesus the gospel? So Paul knows everything that he knows because Jesus taught him the gospel. Keep that in mind when we read these verses in Acts chapter 13. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had accompanied him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These are now his witnesses to the people, and we proclaim to you the good news about the promise uh, to our ancestors, that this promise God has fulfilled to us, their children by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm you are my son today have I fathered you another translation says today I have become your father do you remember when he died on the cross and he said my God my God why have you forsaken me abandoned me for that small moment in time, the father had to look away from his son. Because in that small moment of time, on that cross, he became sin for us. He was our substitute. He became what we were, separated from the father. He took upon himself our sin, our mental anguish, our diseases, the curse. It all fell on him on that day when he died on that cross. And he experienced the same separation that we did. So, Romans chapter 10. This is from 
the New Living, or no, the NET. This is Paul, once again, speaking in this 10th chapter, desiring that Israel be saved. And here's a statement that he makes. Who will descend into the abyss that is to bring up Christ from the dead? Now it's clear. Where was he? In the abyss. Do you know where the abyss is? In the center of the earth. It is the place where Satan will be bound for 1,000 years. It's called the bottomless pit. He'll be chained up for 1,000 years in the bottomless pit. Do a study on it. It's not a nice place. You don't go there for tea and crumpets. Or donuts and coffee. He was brought up from where? The abyss. Who shall descend into the abyss to bring Christ up? All right. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, and we have our answer. I had to throw this in there. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. How was he raised up from the dead? By the glory of the Father. You know what? If we could paint just a little bit of a picture right here, it's shouting time. You see Jesus becoming sin for us. You see him descending into the abyss. You see him just, just receiving the fullness of the wrath of God. We'll show you that in just a moment. It comes upon him. And it seems like all hope is gone. He's abandoned. But as the scripture says, the father will not abandon him. Because he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. When the time came, and he looked over the banisters of heaven, he said, Thou art my son. This day I have become your father. The Holy Spirit, the glory of God, penetrated the very realms of darkness and brought him up out of that place victorious over death, over hell, and the grave itself. You talk about a resurrection. From the depths of death, he brought him out by the glory of the Father. Mm, there's so much more to talk about that. But look at Psalms 88. This is from the Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible. This is prophetic, talking about the Messiah's suffering. For I have had enough troubles, and my life is near Sheol. Again, that's not the grave. That is hell. It's the counterpart. It's the Hebrew of Hades. Sheol, hell, Hades, hell. Hebrew, Greek. I am counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I am like the slain lying in the grave, whom you no longer remember, and you who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. The word depths there? Abyss. Your wrath, listen, your wrath weighs heavily on me, you have overwhelmed me with all your waves. Selah means stop and think about that. Now, again, we paint a picture of the fullness of the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus himself in that awful place to pay the penalty for our transgression. And it's almost unthinkable what he had to go through. Now, for those that question and I felt the need to go in this direction just at this point. 
Because I've, I've had this dialogue with other people. They said, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. On the cross, he said it's finished. Sure he did. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 30. It says, yeah, he said that. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Did he say it is finished? Okay. But did he say what was finished? No. And you see, unless you are a student of the Bible, you just say, oh, redemption is finished. Ah, uh, not so quick. Not so fast. What was finished was the old covenant. What was finished was the Mosaic law that was added to the covenant. What was finished was the types and the shadows and all the Old Testament sacrifices that were sacrificed in the Old Covenant. They were finished. What was finished was, and I know you're going to agree with this, the temple veil was no longer needed. It was finished. Why? Because when it was ripped in two from top to bottom, you could see the Ark of the Covenant in there, but there was no Shekinah glory. So there's no need to have the Ark of the Covenant. There's no need to have the veil to separate the holy place from the most holy place because it was finished. Okay? Now let me show you something. That all these sacrifices are done. They've ended. And let me show it to you. Jeremiah 3, 16, 17. New English translation of the Bible. In those days, your population will greatly increase in the land. At that time, says the Lord, people will no longer talk about having the ark that contains the Lord's covenant with us. They will not call it to mind, remember it, or miss it. No, that will not be done anymore. At that time, the city of Jerusalem will be called the Lord's throne. All nations will gather there in Jerusalem to honor the Lord's name. They will no longer follow the stubborn inclinations of their own evil ways. There will not be an Ark of the Covenant ever again. There is no need to separate it from humanity because we all can go in there because His glory will be there. Can you see that? All that is done away with. All that was finished, the types, the shadows, the sacrifices, all those things are done away with in Christ because He fulfilled them all. Now, look in the book of Hebrews. I'm, I'm sorry, first look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 17. The reason why I'm saying that redemption wasn't finished when he said it is finished is because of this and Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain or empty or meaningless. You are yet in your sins. When he said it is finished, was he raised from the dead? No. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, having obtained eternal redemption for us. When he said it is finished, had he gone into the holy of holies? Had he taken his blood there yet? So he wasn't referring to redemption. He was referring to all the other things of the old covenant. And let me show that to you in scripture. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1. I won't take time to read it all, but I want to make these points to give a good foundation. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. And then from there, the next six verses, he talks about what they were, how they went in off of the sacrifices and did all the things that they did. But notice in verse 8 what it says. 
Now the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. As pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Going down to verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Now, ready for it? It was therefore, what's the next word? It was necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with animal blood, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, the blood of Jesus. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So redemption was not obtained until when? He entered into the holiest place of all, the holy of holies, with his blood as the high priest of the new and everlasting covenant and took his blood in there and sprinkled it upon the mercy seat and all the heavenly tenses of worship that were stained, sin-stained by Adam. But the second Adam went in there with pure blood and cleansed it all for us. Glory to God. Now, again, to show you the type, you'll go back to the Exodus and what do you find? Were they protected from the death angel because they slayed the lamb and ate it? If they didn't apply the blood? No. You see, the death of the lamb was not enough. So even though he said it, he died and said it's finished, that wasn't enough. Why? If there's no resurrection, you're still dead in your sins. But there was a need for his resurrection. There was a need for carrying his blood to the high court of heaven. And what we see in the pattern he had to fulfill in the real heavenly holy of holies. And he did that. And once he did that, he obtained eternal redemption. Which is how we know and why we know John chapter 20 verse 17. He told Mary these words. After his resurrection. Jesus saith unto her. She came to him. Mary Magdalene came to him. She was going to embrace him. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And why did he say, Mary, don't touch me? You know, for some of these that say, well, we know his spirit probably went to heaven. But he, no, it didn't. He did not ascend. We were told where he went. Don't touch me because you'll defy the high priest. The high priest couldn't be defiled before he went in to offer up the blood. So he said, Mary, don't touch me. I've got still work to do. He went to heaven. He offered up his blood. He came back down. And guess what he said to everybody? Touch me. Thomas touched me. Mary touched me. You can all touch me now. Can you see this? This is the unfolding of all the types and the shadows. This is what the high priest had to do. 
Alright. So now, at the rock in the garden, and this brings up one of my most important points. Why would he be sweating as if it were drops of blood because he was going to be crucified? Why? How many men were crucified before him? How many men were crucified after him? How many were eaten by lions? How many were sawn in sunder? Peter was crucified how? Upside down. Because he didn't want to die the way his Lord did. How did Joan of Arc die? At the stake, fire. Guess what? None of them complained. But our Savior is at a rock in the garden. And he's, oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be passed from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine be done. And sweating as if it were drops of blood. It wasn't because he was going to be crucified. It was because he was going to become sin for us and enter into Hades and suffer the torments that you and I should have suffered in the lowest part, free among the dead, with the fullness of the wrath of the Father upon him. After the Father turned his back on him, that's what he did. Angels came to minister to him. I can't even begin to imagine. Can you imagine? Can you, can you wrap your brain around it? I don't know when we get to heaven if someday he'll give us a, maybe on a video screen or something like that and show us what took place. But I can't even imagine it. No wonder it was from Friday to Sunday. A limited amount of hours to, to make all those three days. But because he did that, he became your sin. He became my sin. He paid our sin debt by paying once and for all. He tasted death for every man. Whether a man ever accepts him or does not accept him, he paid the price. All the weight of the sin of the world, of any person who ever was, is, or ever will be, fell upon him on that day in, in that lowest pit. He suffered unthinkable sufferings in travail. Until the father looked over and saw the travail of his what? Soul. And said, it is enough. I'm satisfied. Bring up my son. And he brought him up. And raised him up. He raised him, praise God, from the dead. And look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 40. Because some people say, well, we don't know where he went. We don't know where he was at. Well, just read the scriptures. He told us where he was at. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's back, on the well's back, on the outer part of the well? No, in the well's what? Belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights where? On the surface? In a tomb? No, where? In the heart of the earth, where the abyss is, where it's located, where Hades and Sheol are located. That's where he was for those three days. Until he came out when the Father raised him by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the glory of God. Now look in Revelation chapter 20. Now we can see these things and why they're stated this way. And this is at the great white throne judgment. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, those who drowned in the sea. 
and death and hell. Notice the two. Death and hell, the mortal and the immortal, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell, the mortal part of man and the immortal part of man, we're talking about the natural and the supernatural, okay? Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So death and hell represents both parts of man, the inward part of man and the outward part of man. There will be a resurrection of a person's physical body, whether you're in Christ or not even in Christ. And that same body that you are in, that person is living in who may not know Christ, will be raised up again and reunited with his spirit and soul and stand before the great white throne judgment and both death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire for an eternity. Hard to imagine. Look at the... Um, 1 Corinthians, there's good news though on this side of it. Chapter 15, talking about the second Adam, talking about his work, talking about how the body we're living in is not fit for the kingdom of God right now. And one day when the trumpet's going to sound, he's going to come again, the graves are going to come up, they're going to open, and we're going to be changed in the twinkle of an eye, right? So notice what he says. Remember, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The mortal and the immortal. Death, physical, grave, Hades, where is your victory? The grave has no victory over us. No. Why? Every one of us was doomed to an eternity in the lake of fire. Every one of us, you can almost say, lives hanging in the balance. If it were not for the second person of deity to come to the earth and do what he did to go to that place for us, then every single one of us would have been doomed for an eternity in the lake of fire. But because Jesus did what he did and was raised up victorious over death, hell, and the grave, O oh death, where is your sting? That's physical dying. O oh grave, Sheol, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We've got victory over death, over hell, over the grave because of what Jesus did for us. Glory be to God. So in conclusion, redemption is all about Jesus. It's all about his incarnation. It's all about his life he lived when he walked here upon this earth. It's all about his death, his sufferings, his burial. It's all about his resurrection from the dead. It's all about him raised, being raised up to go to the high court of heaven and offer up his blood. And then come back down and show himself alive. It's all about his coronation where he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and he had reinstated to him the glory he left. When he left, the glory world behind was given back to him. Oh, praise God Almighty. He is forever. Yes, he was the lamb slain, but he is forever, praise God, the lamb who is worthy of all our praise. Look at, look at Revelation chapter 1. He is the worthy lamb. And notice what he says here. If we could just capture this. And I mean to tell you, if we could hear him say these words to John, what it would do to our morale. And when I remember John is on the Isle of Patmos, and they can't kill this guy because they can't boil him in oil, so they had to exile him to the Isle of Patmos because he just wouldn't die. And they couldn't get rid of him any other way. So there he is, and he sees Jesus. And Jesus, when he turns around and sees Jesus, and when he saw him, he says, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. I am he that liveth 
and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. He went to the strong man's very house. He bound up the strong man, and he emerged victorious with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Now notice in Revelation chapter 5, and because of what he did, he is the worthy Lamb of God. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So Jesus, who was the slain Lamb, becomes the worthy Lamb there in heaven. When John asked the question, was asked the question, Who's worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof? Oh, my brother and my sister. Silence just was all there among the people there in, in glory. Silence. You probably, probably cut it with a knife. No one would step up and just say, I'm worthy. No angel would say, I'm worthy. None of the beasts or the elders would say, I'm worthy. No one. So he began to weep. But then one of the elders said to him, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to take the book and loose the seals thereof. He says, I beheld in the midst of the throne stood a lamb as he had been slain, having seven eyes and seven horns, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he took the book, the four and twenty beasts and four and twenty elves fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, golden vows full of odors. And they sung this new song saying, Worthy is the lamb lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Guess what? His name was not Confucius. His name was not Buddha. His name was not Abraham. His name was not Muhammad. But his name was the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and everything in between. Jesus of Nazareth, Lord of all. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Well, today's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Can you say amen? Oh, it may be Friday, but Sunday is coming. Glory be to God. That's just a foretaste. Sunday is about to come.